everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. Where you know, first off, I, I, I just I have to say it now because otherwise we might forget. So there is a pretty good possibility. We're going to try anyway, but there is a good possibility that we may not have a show next week. Um, well, actually, if you think about it, the way things have been going lately, there's been a pretty good possibility that we wouldn't have a show any week. But hey, <laughs> we try. <laughs> Well, I can guarantee that we will not have a show the week after next. Okay. Yeah, there's that. So next week, <clears throat> solid 50-50 chance. <laughs> we try. That's going to be our new tagline. It used to be... Where, where the cars are fast and we're not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought it was where uh, more international... People get F1 news from us than any other place in the U.S. or something. <laughs> well, there, there was more Americans get their, their Formula One news here than any other nationality. That's it. Um, there, there was that for a while. Um, yeah, you know, it, it, we've got a few of them that we can trot out at, at times. Well, lately well, it's well. You remember we also have surprise. We have a show. We, we, we also have the fact that, that we are burn mylander's favorite podcast that he's never heard of oh that was the one we rolled out last <laughs> last week yes um you know we're workshopping these things and they take time they take time our but marketing department got certain, fired so well, i was gonna say we're, we're fairly certain that most of these are factually correct mostly <laughs> mostly anyway um yes we have a show this week we need to f- we need to deal with the show in front of us and not worry about the shows in the future that may or may not exist. Okay. This is the show in front of us. Well, I, you know, I just wanted to put that warning out there in case we didn't have a show published next week and nobody was surprised, which at this point, they'd probably be more surprised if we had a show, but still, I wanted to put it out there. <laughs> I'm just saying that a post-COVID world is hard yeah so anyway have to look back a little bit back to monza we had a show last week we actually did it was kind of surprising we had a show anyway um so on saturday morning and in free practice too which it it seems kind of odd that free practice too was saturday morning but remember monza was a sprint race weekend Correct. So free, we had one free practice on Friday, then we had qualifying, then we had free practice two, then we had our sprint race. Correct. Well, in free practice two, Carlos Sainz had a fairly significant um, collision. Um, he spun into the wall at the Ascari sh- uh, chicane, um, which looking at the onboard footage, a lot of folks were concerned because it showed... Um, Carlos being thrown fairly far forward in the cockpit, which shouldn't happen. And and to the point that there is concern, and we haven't heard a follow-up yet, but there is concern that he moved far enough forward in the cockpit that his helmet may have hit his steering wheel. Oh. Which is not supposed to happen. No. Um, Initially, the concern was that the Hans device, that's the... Um, and, and you see it's the harness that goes over their shoulders um, that has the two straps that clip into the into the helmet, which is intended specifically to prevent excessive neck movement. There was initially concern that that device was not tight enough. So Ferraris confirmed that it was sitting properly and it was working properly. So now the question has become, was there too much stretch in Carlos's seatbelts? Oh. And that was allowing excessive movement. So the FI's taken a look at that to make sure that there's not a problem with his seatbelts. So, fun fact. <coughs> mm-hmm. I don't know if y'all knew this, and I'm sure that somebody that's listening to us is going to go, I've known this forever. Did you know that they, the drivers are not capable, because of the space in the car, of doing up their own seatbelts? That's correct. They have somebody else do it for them. They can do like the basic connections, but the tightening, they rely on either their physio or one of their mechanics to do it. Yeah. 
but I'm not entirely sure they can necessarily get all the connections because it does snap in a couple of different places. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, they have to have help getting their own seatbelts in, much like a baby. And to be clear, it, it's not just a matter of they buckle the seatbelts and you're done. The seatbelts have to be pulled so tight that there is no movement of the driver with the seatbelts buckled. So essentially, they become one with that preformed seat that was molded to their bottoms. Yes, that's why that's why it is so important for that seat to be precisely made. Yes. They and become that's why they do the seat fittings. Right. They become one. Mm-hmm. But yes. So, I mean, while they look at the seatbelts, they should possibly also look at the mechanic that tightened them. Maybe they missed the tightening step. Or they didn't fully complete it. Mm-hmm. It's entirely possible. Yeah. So the other bit of retrospective from Monza, actually before we even get to that, because there is a lot of talk about the sprint race, as we spoke about how, you know, yeah, the, the sprint race didn't really do a whole lot. Um, the, there's been the, the overall reaction that we mentioned last week to... Um, the suggestion that, well, maybe we'll make the sprint race a standalone race. <laughs> that folks are now going, well, then why have it in the first place? Yeah. So th- there, there's been a lot of negative reaction, a lot of question. Formula One is telling us, and Ross Braun is telling us, just wait until Brazil. Because Interlagos, that has pa- it, there's more passing there. It's easier to pass there. It, it, it's not like Monza. There's that, that's what he says. He says, just wait to that. And then we'll all see. Maybe. Okay. But let me just offer up this thing. We've already determined it's not a good experience for Monza, which the reason they chose Monza was because it's fast circuit. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Let's pretend a minute that Ross Braun is right, that it is a magical experience for Interlagos. How many other tracks are like that? Mm-hmm. You can't roll this out as something that would happen at every race. Therefore, you're going to have this dueling qualifying world where some races follow this format and other races follow this format. And guess what series that's like? IndyCar. Very good. Yay, I'm learning. <laughs> because depending on the track, they have two different kinds of qualifying. <clears throat> well, yeah, whether it's an oval or a, a, a road course. And now you're going to have to have a cheat sheet. And now every time Martin Brundle starts off a, a, a Grand Prix have- Sunday, instead of hearing the whole, okay, we're dealing with the three... T- tire compounds and well we're using the hardest in the series this time and that'll be the c3 we're gonna hear this week's qualifying is qualifying a we do this for this qualifying this track is a blue blue colored track on the calendar which means it has the a class qualifying and this is what it (laughs) i know but i mean if if you really look at what the root cause is here and where this came from oh 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 i know i know do you? I know what the root cause is. Okay. Formula One doesn't listen well. Well, kind of, but not really. They think they're listening, and then they keep trying to solve problems we don't have. Well, it's it, some of it is that they keep trying to solve problems that they don't have. But some of those perceived problems of where they came from comes from things like drivers getting in front of the press and going... Formula One is too easy. We're not pushing all the time. It's not a physical challenge. It's really not all that hard to do. And saying that stuff over and over again, and oh, we're always lifting and coasting, and we're doing all of this stuff, that eventually the fans start to pick up on that exact same messaging. And they start saying it. And now Formula One all of a sudden starts to believe that it's actually a problem. When it never was in the first place, they just need to tell their drivers to shut the heck up. Speaking of drivers that need to shut the heck up, David, what's your story this week? Alonzo. Wow. <laughs> Alonzo wants to say that there is there needs to be more uh, 
randomness in uh consider more randomness in the podium instead of it just being Lewis won this race, Verstappen won this race. It was like Mercedes got two parts of the podium, Red Bull got the other part. Red Bull got two parts of the podium, Mercedes got one of the parts. It's that predictable. Except the problem there is that in Monza, it was McLaren that won the race and got second. So Zanvoort, okay, yeah, that, that worked out that way. Spa, I don't know if you can fully count Spa, but but Spa was, yeah, there was Red Bull, but there was not a Mercedes in second place on there. Oh, and wait, let, let's look. Who was it? Who won Hungary? Who was it? Oh, wait, that's right. It was Fernando's teammate. And this... that's a review of who's won the last five races. And And when you look at the statistics this year, I believe there's been something like 12 different drivers on the podium this year. Yeah. There's been more variety on the podium since 2012. I was about to say, because you have to go back to the epic Mm -hmm. year of 2012, where we went, what was it, eight races and eight different winners? Mm Mm-hmm. Eight winners and eight straight races. Yeah. It was anybody's game almost to the midseason. Yeah. Now, when you were outlining all of the complaining, <laughs> all the only person I've heard say all of those things was, in fact, Fernando Halonso. So basically, if we could get Fernando to be quiet, <laughs> we possibly wouldn't have issues. Well, you know, th- there is the other thought that, you know, we are talking about Fernando Alonso. And Fernando Alonso... It, it, has not been unusual for him to say that the state of the sport is terrible when he's not doing as well as he thinks he should be. Well, exactly. And Fernando Alonso is Fernando Alonso's worst enemy. So we also know that. (laughs) Yeah, there's that too. Yeah. Now, I mean, the fans have a point. They want more passing. They want more action on the track. Yeah. But what the... Powers that be at Formula One need to understand is that when the fans say we want more passing and we want more action on the track and we want more of this or we want more of that, we're not offering you how to solve it. You should not listen to the fans say this is how you should solve (laughs) this problem. I see. and, And that's where I will kind of disagree only because of the fact that everybody from the fans to the teams to the drivers, to pretty much the technical representatives at the FIA. They know why there's not a lot of passing on the track. They know why at Monza it can be more difficult and why the horsepower difference is so important. It's because these cars are so dependent on the aerodynamic grip. And if they turn around and redesign that so that they're less dependent on that, all of a sudden cars can race closer. It's well, more than just that, though. You're having these cars <clears throat> race on these narrow circuits. Abu Dhabi, for example, or Monaco are just so narrow. And each, and as like the car's evolution goes on, they're getting wider and wider. And eventually they'll be so wide that you simply just can't get a car to overtake another car on like Monaco or Abu Dhabi without causing a collision. And you're right there. You're right. You see that. You see it in Monaco. If you go back and look at the 1960s races, the 70s races on Monaco. Look at the historic Grand Prix that are run currently. You see the fact that the cars are literally half the width. Um, And any of the historic circuits that have those, I mean, uh, Monza's narrow, Zandvoort's narrow, Imola's narrow, Spa's narrow. I mean, all of those courses are ones that are hard to pass on. But if you watch the historic races and you watch the the well the currently the historic cars running and and the the older footage you see in places like Monaco in other words these cars running three wide right and we see that almost nowhere in modern Formula One because the cars are wider mm-hmm. and you're right the dependency on aerodynamic grip causes just you know the slightest disturbances Mm -hmm. in the air i mean you can't 
uh, follow closely. All of those things are like knock-on effects. But the thing is, the fans have said, we've heard fans say that we want more passing, so bring back the fuel strategies. Well, the passing happened in the pits then. Mm -hmm. We've heard fans go, we want racing like it was in the 80s or the 90s during some heyday of Formula One racing. And yet when I go back to the big book of racing, (laughs) I see that those races finished with 60 to 70 seconds between first and second. Yeah. So yeah, not close. And then we had years in there where people were trying things. We had the fan car. We had six-wheel Tyrrells that did not do well. But we had these like innovative designs that it's either you get it right or you get it very, very wrong. But we don't have some of that now because the technical regulations have basically been written that if you got something right, it's now illegal. Yeah. So all of those things play into the 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 quote problems with formula one i go back to i have made the suggestion i am lobbying hard for it that we should throw the entire technical regulation book out the window all of it and put in a book of minimum safety requirements well I, i i think you need to combine that with one other thing yeah, you have your, your minimum, and it should be safety and performance requirements. Okay, both of them. yes, because they need to go They're certain. They're tied together along with a budget cap. Along with a budget cap. Because that should, the, the other piece of it shouldn't be that you have unlimited funding and unlimited spending mm-hmm. to develop a car that hits all of those pieces. No. No, this should be a case <clears throat> of... You want speed, you want uh, performance over time, you want the longevity mm-hmm. piece, you want speed on the high speed circuits or in corners, pick two. You know, you got to pick something and give up something else. But, but but outside of that, if you want to run with shark fins, if you want to run with, you know, six tires or eight tires or... You want to run with diesel fuel instead of regular fuel. As long as you're hitting the performance requirements and you're under the the budget cap, have at it. I complete. That is the formula one I want to see. I want to see here are the minimum safety requirements. And maybe it's, there's also a couple of things about like the size of the car. We couldn't make a car that's so wide that nobody could pass it on the track because you know you have to well well, that's what i was thinking when you're talking safety and performance requirements it includes a couple of things around car height it it includes a couple of things around the width of the car it it includes some things around you know the the minimum turn rate or, or the minimum and maximum turn radius that the car has to be able to achieve at low and high speeds so that you know we, we know it can make it around the hairpin at Monaco and things like that. Um, th- those general specifications, you know, you got to make sure that it fits inside the grid box. Well, and that was where <laughs> I was going is because like I'm thinking back to back to the ye olde days when the boy was a smaller boy. Pinewood Derby's rules. Mm-hmm. It has to have four wheels. It has to fit in the box. Mm-hmm. Anything beyond fitting in that box and, you know, you had to be made out of a certain material and, you know. There were some weight There were some weight requirements. but And lube requirements. And there were, yes. But beyond that, <clears throat> we saw cars that were half the size of the box. Mm-hmm. We saw cars that were fully, you know, corner to corner, box long, low, Weighted car, uh, there's been a car that once couldn't even cross the finish line because the gate was too low. Right. Um, you know, put the weight in the front, put the weight in the back. All of those tweaks along the way, that's what that sport, mm-hmm. that experience was. But that was exactly it. It was, here is your minimum requirements. Here's your maximum requirements. You know, you could not make it heavier than. And go for it. That's what I think Formula One... I think that's what the evolution of Formula One should head towards. Rip apart the rule book and start over. 
It'd be cool. Never happened. I know. But it'd be cool. But instead of arguing over whether or not something had, you know, fins on the wing or it didn't have fins on the wing and can it have an exhaust that exits here versus there. Let them go. Let it go. Let it go. So the other thing that we had come out of the last race and we had said was probably going to happen was a look at the curbs at turn two in Monza, given the fact of all the work that had been done to make sure that that cars did not go airborne during incidents. And car went airborne. Yeah. And landed on someone else's head. And so the FIA is taking a look at it. And Michael Massey said, no, it's cool. Why does he think it's cool? He said the, the curbs at the chicane worked as intended um, and that it's up to the driver to make a decision on whether to persist with an overtake and risk clipping them or play it safe and avoid taking uh, avoiding action through the runoff area. Except that the curb launched the car. I thought that, you know, you well, can... Well, by that logic, let's go and put all the sausage curbs back. I know. I, <laughs> I get that... <laughs> It's the risk. I get that. I mean, Mr. that's the Mossy. point of putting it there. But the goal <laughs> was to not send a car airborne, particularly if it's going to land on the head of the other car. And and that's what's been, you know, all the talk about removing these sausage curbs was that they were seeing an increase of the possibility of launching these cars, and they did not want that to happen. Exactly. I <laughs> crazy yeah Yeah, he said in that situation i think the sausage curb works quite well in that particular corner it was a driver's choice you can drive into a curb or go to the left of it which we saw numerous times that that happened over the course of the weekend a number of people in similar situations chose to go to the left through those little bumps and rejoin Uh yeah (laughs) okay (sighs) <sighs> yeah. So, driver news. You know, we mentioned last week, Williams got a new driver. Yes. Who showed up to his big announcement wearing an Alfa Tauri shirt. No, he showed up wearing a Red Bull shirt. No, it's an Alfa Tauri shirt. It was an Alfa Tauri shirt. It, it, but even still, see, like I said... See, there it is. Alfa Tauri. Like I said, he's under contract with Alpha Tori. He doesn't have a choice. It's not the faux pas you want to make it out to be. We don't know this. No, I'm telling you. <clears throat> we don't know this. I know. Who's the marketing expert in this team? So Alex reached... Did you, did you confirm with Alex? I may or may not have talked to Alex this week. So um, He said that you were wrong. Wait, wait. You're the marketing manager of this, right? I'm the marketing guru of the team. So why haven't I seen any Bloke and the Bird merch online? Because we have a small core audience. It's not economical to produce Bloke and the Bird merch yet. Oh. You know what? You get more people to listen, and we'll produce them. I've been talking to a few people, but... Haven't seen the numbers go up. Keep working at it. (laughs) Keep going. Come on. Keep it going. Anyway, so... Alex says that uh, he owes George Russell a couple of beers for uh, vacating the seat. Well, no, actually, it sounds like it was a bit more than that, Um, that George may have been doing a bit of politicking within Williams. Oh, really? um, To encourage them to sign Alex as his replacement. Okay. They are known to be good friends. Well, that's... and at, at some point, at least one member of the board said, you know, look, w- w- as much as we like George and we respect George, um, in order to be kind of impartial, we, we need to, like, not listen to George. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, but George was apparently campaigning heavily within Williams for Alex to get the seat. Well, congratulations to Alex. Um, Alex also says, so we had heard when this announcement was made, Mercedes and Toto Wolf in particular said that there were very strict and clear clauses in the contract to protect Mercedes intellectual property. 
Okay. Alex says he doesn't know what they are. Well, I've heard. Okay. That Alex is not allowed to use the Mercedes engine. So what I he will have to run. What what I'm guessing what it actually is. It's it's not that. Is the Alex is not allowed to work on the engine. Yeah. And he can't take pictures of the engine with the engine covers off and then send them to Red Bull. Exactly. That, that, that's kind of what I think it is. And then th- there's also, there's been a lot of conversation about, so Total Wolf says, well, we haven't completely eliminated all of our connections with Alex. And um, we do have an option if we wanted him in 23, we could bring him back. Uh-huh. Like they're actually going to bring him back. Only if he gets intellectual property from Mercedes will they bring him back. I, I'm I'm fairly certain that um, Alex's response when he heard that from Christian Horner was something along the lines of "See ya," because <laughs> I can't see that Alex would want to go back at this point. I can't imagine. I mean, he wasn't exactly treated well. He he wasn't treated well. Um, I think he will find that the environment at Williams will suit him much better. Which I think George knows, and that's mm-hmm. why he was politics. And that's so one hard. of the things that George says, is to develop a driver and develop their confidence, Williams is a great place to do it. Excellent. And the team continues to be even after the management changes. Well, that's important. And we all worried what it was going to be like after the management changes. And mm-hmm. I've seen good things, which I think is excellent. Yeah. So um, Alfa Romeo has confirmed that Formula 2 race winner, not series winner, because he's only second place in Formula 2 right now, uh, Guayan Zhu, or, or Zhu, we'll find out if he gets signed what how, the correct pronunciation is. That he is uh, the favorite for the seat at Alfa Romeo, which we knew because he came with a lot of money. But now Alfa Romeo has confirmed it, but they have not confirmed that they're signing him because they want to know what's going to happen. So they've confirmed that they are definitely looking at him. Yeah. Excellent. So in terms of leading the series, it is Oscar Piastri. Um, and, And he has extended his lead over the last couple of weeks. Um, it does not sound like Oscar is being considered by any team. Interesting. To make the move over. Um, again, it, it seems like it's a money thing that's got Guayanju interested. Alpha says that all that, that a lot of teams are looking at him, but you know, let's be clear, there's not a lot of open seats right now, and he's mm-hmm. in the Alpine Junior program. So I'm not sure who else is gonna be looking at him. Yeah. Um now, when we hear that Alpha is saying that, you know, he's a leading candidate and they want to see what's happening in Formula 2, it sounds like the issue is that he has not met the full requirements for his super license. Oh, that can yeah. slow you down. Now, there's there's things that can be done. In it, Correspondence courses. Something like that. Could, could he just take like a Sharpie and just write on his license super and call it I mean, a super I'll loan him my Sharpie. Well, well that, that's one of the options I think they're still trying to work out right now is do they do that? I think the challenge there is that the license may be laminated and that, you know, once he, once he puts it in his pocket, he gets wiped off and then that's the end of it. So they got to look for a better solution than that. Maybe iron on embroidery. I don't know yet, but they're they're trying to sort that whole piece out. Well, I can understand. I mean, it's it's definitely something that's hampered my entry into Formula One. Meanwhile, Robert Kubica he he has accepted that um he's not a leading candidate for the seat. He's accepted that. He he has accepted that. He has come to realize that even though he is their reserve driver, they are not actually considering him for the. Is he fully sure though? Because he's only raced in two in how many races again? Two. And he's doing better than Nikita Mazepin, who's raced in how many races again? More than two. I rest yes. my case. <laughs> he is, in fact, a better driver than Nikita Mazepin. That's not saying much. <laughs> so yeah, he, he has accepted that that 
he is not a candidate for the seat. I think Robert Kibitza is probably accepting the fact that his role right now is better served as a reserve or a test driver. And, and he said that that he's his big focus is he wants to remain racing in sports cars. So that's where, what he's, he's really doing, and that's the direction he wants to go. I like it. I think that's good for him. So last week, we had mentioned that it, it seemed kind of odd that Aston Martin had not confirmed their driver lineup for next year. Yeah, but we didn't think there would be any changes. Aston Martin has confirmed their driver lineup for next year. And there aren't any there changes. There aren't any changes. Now, to be clear, this isn't a renewal situation. Much like with Fernando and his contract over at Renault, this was, we had the option to take you, we're taking the option. Got it. Which, okay, makes sense. So, yeah, next year we'll continue to be Lance Stroll and Sebastian Vettel. You mean just Sebastian Vettel? We don't believe in Lance's existence because Daddy had to buy him a team. Well, it's more of four-time world uh, title, world champion, and Daddy's little boy. Yeah. So, you know, I, I will say this. Lawrence is giving indications that he wants to be a team owner for the long haul. Okay. For a significant period of time, um, w- which, of course, makes me wonder what is going to happen when Lance continues to, to drop off in performance. What's gonna going happen, to happen? What's going to happen when Lance decides that something shiny is more fun than playing Playboy sports car driver? I'm not sure Lance will do that. I think it, he would have to get pushed out. And, but that's one of the questions. But the the latest way that Lawrence is showing his commitment to, and, and, and th- this is not a sarcastic commitment. Mm-hmm. This, this is real here. Um, he just signed off and the team has broken, grand, broken ground on a brand new 400,000 square foot manufacturing facility for the team. Wow. Now, currently the team is running out of the old Force India Jordan Grand Prix facilities in Oxford. And I think they're still staying in Oxford. Oh, um, so Eddie Jordan's basement? Yes, Eddie Jordan's basement. Yes. Um, so so they're, they're, you know, he's trying to get them out of Eddie's basement. And it seems a little odd to me because if I remember correctly, I thought it was last year or the year before, he signed off on building at that facility a brand new wind tunnel. Hmm. So I and, and I don't know. It may just be a matter of that this is adjacent to the existing facility, so that they can still leverage the wind tunnel that was built. But I thought they built a brand new wind tunnel for the team. Well, they are pushing forward to get out of Eddie Jordan's basement. Yes. Can we just take a side note, real quick? It's a tangent, and I admit it on the front end. Okay. We watched the Schumacher documentary this past weekend. Do we need to do this tangent now? I just want to mention one thing, and it's Eddie Jordan related, and then I will circle back. Oh, okay. Did you see how young Eddie (laughs) Jordan was? Well, pretty much at this point, any video of Eddie Jordan when he was running the team, he looks a lot younger. (laughs) I didn't recognize him until he spoke. (laughs) <laughs> like yes i know that there was like tags as to who these people were but without mm-hmm. my glasses on i can't read them i didn't know who he was until he spoke okay back to your regularly scheduled moment so one of the key reasons that they are building this new facility is because the original facility is too small for them they've got temporary office spaces set up not just on the property, but apparently around the area. And it's hampering their development, which, you know, makes sense. If, you know, Bob and three of his designers are four blocks away, it does kind of make it a little difficult to go and design your car. Well, it is problematic, especially if you're like having to camp out in Eddie Jordan's dining room since you're in the basement. Well, especially if he wants to have a dinner party. And, you know, Eddie, he does have a band. He and does like loud, he does the, like loud music. 
the oh, drumming. And they oh. also ha- and they have to be careful to keep all their stuff away from his Red Bull girls. Yeah. I don't think he has a problem with Red Bull girls anymore. Eddie and Red Bull girls that that he, he doesn't, but like um Lauren Stroll trying to keep make sure that the Red Bull girls don't see what's going on in the basement because otherwise that seems possibly secrets. a stretch. Yeah, that 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 that's that's a hard one there. Oh. But yeah, it's the constant <clears throat> drumming. Yeah. You can't hear the engine over the drumming. Yeah. So they're they're talking that they want to be able to move into the facility either at the end of 2022 or early 2023. Uh final cost is estimated somewhere between 150 and 200 million pounds. So not a small facility. Yeah. This would be the first all-new facility for a Formula One team since Ron Dennis opened the McLaren Technology Center in 2004. Wow. That's significant. And, you know, if you've seen pictures of the McLaren Technology Center, visually it is stunning. Um, He worked with Sir Norman Foster to design the facility. Um, And as gorgeous as it looks... It gets a lot of criticism from the folks who work there. And that's one of the things that actually Lawrence has said that he has listened to. In that going so far as to say that he envisions this facility to be a reverse McLaren technology center. So ugly as sin and completely functional. Quite possibly. (laughs) You know, one of the things that, that folks talk about who work, especially who work for the Formula One team at the McLaren Technology Centers, because of the way it's laid out, it's one of those things that when you get out of the car in the morning, you want to make sure you have every single item that you need throughout your workday. And you have absolutely no need to go back to your car because it can be a 30 plus minute walk, depending on where your workspace is, back to your vehicle. Wow. And, and, you know, it's things like that where they looked more at how Ron Dennis thought things should happen and how things should look that dictated the design of that building as opposed to the functionality of the building and making things work efficiently. And this is what Lawrence says that he's trying to avoid. I'll be very interested to see how ugly it is if you think about the reverse mtc (laughs) the mtc is breathtakingly gorgeous it is so if you're gonna do everything differently let's let's see uh you know function over form in in all seriousness i expect it will probably be a gorgeous facility um without some of the the odd architectural touches that Ron Dennis pushed into the MTC, but I suspect that this is still going to be a fairly, especially because much like the existing facility and much like what Williams does over in their facility, they've already made it clear. They want to host convention space. They want to have event spaces. They want to be able to do other stuff there and leverage the facility, much like Williams does in their space. And they've tried to do occasionally in their existing space with Eddie Jordan, who you know, they unfortunately the, the Yelp reviews aren't that high because Eddie, you know, likes to play his music. Well, if you like Eddie's music, then your Yelp review is really, really high. The problem awesome. is we're not entirely sure what Eddie Jordan serves for food. Yeah. There's that. Yeah. So, other news. Yes. Um, we still do not have an officially released calendar. But we're starting to get some leaks. So what it's shaping up to right now, and this is according to racefans.net, they're saying that what they're hearing is that 23 races are what Formula One is currently pushing for. Um, And also, it sounds like Formula One is pushing Monaco to change the nature of the weekend. Now, as you recall, normally, and it even worked out this year the same way. A Monaco weekend is four days long. It's right. the only one that's four days long. Cars go on the track for the, the first practice sessions on Thursday. There's no racing on Friday. 
and then cars are back out on Saturday and Sunday. It sounds like that they're that they are pushing Monaco to do the same as everybody else and have the weekend start on Friday and go Friday to Sunday. I thought that there was a very specific reason that they did nothing on Friday in Monaco. I thought there was like, there's a business reason or a road reason or something. It it was to accommodate traffic and accommodate stuff like that. Um, They seem to be leaning on Monaco to reconsider that. I would be very interested to see if they don't try the two-day Imola concept in Monaco. It, it sounds where it's just a Saturday Sunday deal to accommodate that. But the other issue is you've got to bring so much stuff in. Well, there's that, but it also sounds like Monaco has stood up and said, uh, "Absolutely not. Mm. We're, we're not doing two days." Oh, that, okay. They put their foot down there. The other thing that it sounds like around Monaco that there is a push to change is Monaco is one of the last circuits where the majority of the production and the camera placement and all of that is handled locally by local production crews. It is not handled by Formula One and their world feed. Now, a lot of that is because given the nature of the circuit, those cameras go on private property and it's a whole lot easier for the principality and the prince to go, you're going to put a camera here. <laughs> no, no, you don't understand. You're going to put a camera here. Um, so that has to, some of, that has to do with some of why the principality still maintains those rights. There has been a lot of concern over the fact that they're not very good at broadcasting Monaco. No, they're not. Um, they, they, don't always focus on where the action is in Monaco. And apparently Formula One's getting a little annoyed at that. Um, Monaco also, up until this year, and the deal is up for negotiation this year, which is part of the reason why we know so much about this. Monaco, we have known for years, is one of the few tracks that Bernie Eccleston did not charge a hosting fee on. Mm. The payment would come, and, and this I didn't know, the payment would come out of um, tax incentives and things like that, but there was not a hosting fee that was paid. It sounds like now Formula One is trying to get a hosting fee out of Monaco. Now, for Monaco, it sounds like it's a fairly modest fee of like $15 million, <laughs> which, which I'm fairly certain that's like the prince's bar bill in a month. So I, I don't think it's going to be that much of a hit for him? I don't know if Albert really impresses me as a 15 million pound drinker. Well, that that's for, you know, all the entertaining. All the entertaining. I don't know. It, it could possibly be the wardrobe bill of, you know, the prince and princess. For the year? Possibly. Okay. Um, the other contracts that are up for expiration this year and up for renewal, um, Austin and Abu Dhabi, um, and Singapore, uh, Barcelona got a one-off deal, so they still need to get renewed. And that's Mm. part of the reason why it sounds like, um, they haven't even published a calendar is, is I think some of these discussions are still tentative enough that they're not even comfortable putting a TBC up for it. And that makes sense. I mean, the world went upside down for the last two years. Mm -hmm. They're still trying to sort all of that out. So Spain, it sounds like, may have renewed their deal for five years, um, similar to the agreements that are being set up for Monaco. Um, But, you know, one of the questions has been, why do all this work to add a race with Miami and drop, you know, some historic ones? Right. So that, that's why there's a lot of questions here. Um, the other thing that they're, they're talking about is that if needed, Turkey's ready and willing to host. So if they can't set up a renewal, Turkey's going to get it. Yeah. Um, it does look like season opener will probably be in the Middle East. Uh, they're already talking that there will be one of the winter tests will happen in Bahrain. Um, and then probably from Bahrain would be a Australia-China doubleheader. Mm. 
Um, but they're also saying that they're talking like three different um, triple headers. Wow. Which the teams don't like. Right. That's, so. that's hard on the teams. Mm-hmm. So we don't know exactly what's going to happen yet. But yeah, that, that, that's where things are shaping up. Um, they're also trying to push really hard um, to stop with these reserve slots. You know, the reserve slot that Australia's had that we start the, the season off and Abu Dhabi ends. It sounds like they're trying to push back on that and mm-hmm. break some of those agreements. I don't know. Oh, even just to figure out how to make that a logical flow to the calendar. Yeah, so that you're going to places when it's the weather's conducive and... yeah. So announced this week, let's move over out of Formula One and move over to IndyCar because mm. it's been a light week for Formula One. You know, we're off. Um, but over to IndyCar and Arrow has now renewed their agreement as title ship sponsor for the Schmidt-Peterson-McLaren racing team. Right. As a result of that, and McLaren, and we, we had talked about a couple of weeks ago, uh, McLaren had increased their stake in the team to a 75% stake. Um, McLaren is now planning to run permanently three cars on that team. Nice. So they don't know if they will, they're not planning on having it done at the start of 22, uh, but possibly midway through 22, roll out the third car and definitely in 23, we'll have a third car and already Zach Brown's looking at drivers. So, to be clear, in terms of the two drivers we know are going to be driving for the two cars that are out there, uh, Patricio Award will continue driving for the team, and Felix Rosenquist will will drive for the team as well. Okay. Um, According to Zach Brown, the drivers that he is taking a look at include, obviously, Kevin Magnuson, who's already driven for the team, Mm -hmm. um, and... Stoffel the Flying Waffle. Oh, you didn't tell me that K-Mac was also up for the seat. I got all excited that we would have a waffle on the on the track, and I was already planning my banner and everything, and now you're going to tell me that if I get my waffle, I lose my K-Mac? The Flying Waffle is unstoppable. I know. So. That's not fair. As Zach says... They're not just fielding a car for the sake of fielding a car. They want to field a car that they feel will be competitive, and they want a driver who they feel can can win them a title and can fight for a title. So obviously they feel that way with their two drivers. That's what's going to be the big decider for driver number three. So honestly, from what we've seen, I would rate Stoffel a higher driver than than Kevin. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, I so want to go to the race with the banner of the Flying Waffle is Unstoppable. I mean, I'm going to have it put on a shirt. (laughs) I mean, and then I'll stalk. I'll stalk him and then the police will get called. It'll be a moment. But, it's not like I haven't embarrassed you at a track before. I, I was going to say, at that point, we're going to forget that we know you. Yeah, you tried every time I called Roman Grosjean's <laughs> name the last time we were at the track, and uh, you got stuck with me. So, <laughs> so and, and finally, IndyCar has announced their 2022 schedule. Now, unlike Formula One, they will not be doing a 23-race schedule. Although but I they th- never did a long, the longer schedule. And, and the thing is, they could pull it off a little better. There's not as much travel. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, it's not nearly as glamorous a location for a lot of their places. Yes, at this point, I'm looking right squarely at you, Mid-Ohio. <laughs> After the experience that we had at Road America, mm-hmm. I mean, Mid-Ohio is really um, the dregs. So... IndyCar is doing a has announced a 17 race schedule. Um, the only doubleheader that they will host is going to be Iowa, and they're moving the season opener in, at St. Petersburg to February. 
Oh, wow. So early racing over in IndyCar, but 17 races. Um, Detroit event at Belle Isle will move back to its usual week after the Indy 500, um, but it will be a single race. And remember, that was the duel in Detroit, was that Saturday and Sunday race. It's going to be a single race for the first time since 2012. Wow. Um, IndyCar will be returning to Toronto in July. Um, and then doubleheader will be uh, Iowa Speedway after a year-long hiatus. Um, Grand Prix of Long Beach will return to its April date. And Laguna Seca will become the season finale as it was in 2019. Okay. I have to confirm that we still have invites to the 500 this year. Okay. Oh, we, we will likely have invites to the 500. It's, it's a matter of who's going to invite us. Well, and, and whose invite we accept. There you go. Um, How can we do both? Well, yes. But I'm pretty sure we have grandstand seats at like turn one or across from the pits. Offered up to us, but I need to confirm those. So definitely doing 500 this year, this coming year. I'm assuming we'll try to do Road America again this year. Uh, I, th- I, th- I think so. I thought we had a good time out there. I loved Road America. And, we, you know, we did give presents to the McGinnis team, so I'm hoping that we will <laughs> be guests with, of the McGinnises again. Um, but, you know, if we could just get guests of one of the top-tier teams. Well, you know... I mean, if- Stoffel... If, if we go to Road America, well, if we go to either and we're there as guests of the McGinnises, we, we will get to dine again at the Andretti Hospitality. Try the fish. Get the fish. <laughs> the, the fish is definitely the way to go. <laughs> and make friends with the guy that, with one of the chefs that's there. Like, smile and say hello and be really nice to him because he'll get you the choice piece of the fish. And he will give you the recommendation that you need the fish. Because everybody gets the chicken. Yeah. No, you get the the fish. Trust us. (laughs) So, yeah, we're going to have to plan out our whole motorsport season this year. We might actually go to multiple races. That could be interesting. And on that note, we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay. Whew.